without further ado, we're going to start for uh, today. Triple um, O, I've known this gentleman for 10 plus. Okay, Ross, okay. I don't even know. <laughs> my, my numbers are off. Uh, 20 plus years we've known each other, um, stood side by side in music. Um, he's won countless awards. He's had a mobile award, released countless projects, um, and is still here with a message and with a voice. And we thought it would be very important for him to just come down and share that. He's got an amazing story. Um, he's about to get married. Is it next week, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez, man. Release an album last week. He's getting married next week. I don't know how he does it, but he's here and he's going to share his story. Ladies and gentlemen, please can we make some noise for Triple O. Okay. Has anybody heard his album? Yeah. Uh, so the name of the album, if you want to check it out when you get home and just chill, uh, it's Triple O, you can just put it on Spotify, anything, and it's everything left unsaid, unsaid. Uh, but today we're going to talk from the top One, to the bottom, all right? I'm nervous, bro. You're good. I'm joking now, I'm cool. I'm good, I'm looking forward to today. It should be fun. We're going to have right. a conversation. So, let's get it cracking. First off, we're going to do a quick, uh, quick fire round. All right, favorite item in your wardrobe? Favorite item in my wardrobe? Um, my black and white uh, trainers, pandas. Pa okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got money like that. Uh, <laughs> most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Most spontaneous thing I've ever done? Um, oh, I turned up at Wireless once with no ticket, expecting to get in, <laughs> just because I heard J. Cole was headlining, and I ended up getting in. How? So you, I'll no, tell you no, story. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell okay. you story afterwards. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What's your biggest regret? My biggest regret. Um, oh, my biggest regret. All right, pass. Next one, next one. I don't do regrets. Don't do, you, you, we learn from past mistakes. That, no, that's what people just say. When they no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to get move forward because of the time, in it? Because I can't <laughs> think. One's not coming to mind. Would you, you do it. Anyway, would you rather read minds or be invisible? Read minds. Read minds. Um, what's your number one form of escapism? Um, cooking. Cooking, okay. What yeah. do you cook? Well, Nigerian dishes. I do the agusi, I do the pani jam, I do the jello okay. fries, I do the fried rice, I do the... Shall I continue? Or, or time? Time, okay. Right, Someone was late and they're known to be cocky now. Um... <laughs> I apologise. I'm not going to let this go for the next <laughs> ten years. What, what's one thing you would, someone would never ever know about you? That no one will never, uh, someone know. Um, MC. But, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Oh, okay. I'm thinking. They would never know about you. Unless you know me, know me. I don't think many people know the football team I support. If that's something. We all know the football team I support. Do we? Okay, cool. Everyone say it. Ipswich. Tractor boy for life. Um, <laughs> what else? What else? Yes. No, next one. No, okay, cool. um, when are you the happiest? Um, when I'm with my family. When you're with your family. Okay, yeah. that's nice. First thought, when you won your MOBO, they called out your name. Um, this can't be real. They actually told me two minutes before I went on stage, actually. But that's a whole other story, so we can get into that. that. Cheap. They, they told, literally, they came up to me, but I decided, I'm, I'm sitting on the t time. I'll tell you after the time. 
finishes. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. that's two things I need to say. Remind him in case I forget. Um, who have you met that left you starstruck? That you thought, wow, wow. Um, Sir Tom Jones. Tom Jones, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. I once met uh, Princess Diana. Oh. And now, you're, I, I, and, now you're, and now you're married to Princess Diana. <laughs> but, um, I'm a rapper, you know. People come late, they think they have jokes. <laughs> what are you most proud of? Um, what am I most proud of? My journey and my story. Yeah, love that. Nice. Uh, what the greatest fear? Um, greatest fear. Dying alone. Dying alone. Yeah. In terms of relationships, or just yeah, just without having people around me, having people who genuinely love and care, just being feel, feeling like an afterthought. Okay. Yeah, if Deep. that makes sense. All right. Yeah. Um, last one, uh, one day that you would love to relive over and over and over again? Um, next week, next week. Okay, your wedding. Yeah, okay. that hasn't even happened yet. Okay, all right, round of applause, please. You made it through. Okay, before the cat, give us that recap of... Uh, wireless. Wireless. All right, um, very quickly, so basically, I wanted to go to wireless, didn't have a ticket, but I wanted to see J. Cole, I'm a big J. Cole fan, so um, I literally just went in faith. Uh, they told me that tickets were sold out. So literally, as I got on the train, there were two ladies that were sitting up opposite me that were going to the festival. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to wireless. Whoa. They said, oh, we're going to wireless. I said, oh, okay, cool. They asked me, have I got a ticket? I said, no. They said, oh, that's funny because we were supposed to be going with the third person, but the person that we're going with can't come anymore. So would you like the ticket that we've got? I was like, yes, please. So um, they gave me their ticket, and I ended up just hanging out with them by, for the rest of the day. But they wanted to see someone else while J. Cole was on. And I'm like, lovely meeting you, but I came here with an agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, I, yeah, I went to go see. I so that was, that. that was cool. Round of applause, please. That's a test. Yeah, Hudson. I did that once. I went to uh, the Mobos in um, Royal Albert Hall. I didn't have a ticket. Um, that's cool. I didn't have a ticket because um, I worked with a magazine company at the time, and I was an intern. So I thought they were just going to give me a ticket. So I told all my friends, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going mobile on Thursday. Yeah, I know. It's deep. Yeah. And then I was waiting on that Thursday. I had dressed up, and I was waiting on the Thursday for them to give me a ticket, like my manager. And then he said, oh, are you going? I was like, <laughs> he said, are you going to the mobiles? I was like, come on. <laughs> just give me the ticket. And he was, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. Well, we'll see you guys later. But I told everybody else, innit? So I went to Royal Albert Hall, stood outside, you know, just waiting. Waiting for like a ticket tout or something. Paid like £36 or something. And the ticket, the seat was in the bleed, uh, like at the top, top, top. Like I couldn't see anybody. It was like a dot. That's what it was. It was like ants down there. For no... Yeah, it wasn't quite your wireless story. But um, cool, we move. All right, cool. So let's get into it. Um, has everybody got... Oh, actually, not everybody. Some people may have been handed an envelope. All right? And hands up if you've got an envelope. A black envelope. Cool. Black envelope. Don't open it yet until I say so. If you have... Um, can we get those two mics ready, actually, at the back? If you have a black envelope, I'm going to ask you to open it and read what is written there. So 
if you have envelope one, and if you have envelope two, get ready. Who has envelope one? Okay, and who has envelope two? Okay, Emmanuel, okay, cool. So, get ready, because we're going to ask you to open up your envelope. All right, let's start. Young Triple M. All right. Big up Facebook. People forget about Facebook. Yo, the hairline was strong. It's strong. Stronger than it is now, but we thank God. (laughs) Um, God. So, if you've got envelope one, if you could tell us your name, and if you could read that for us, please. Jesse. Jesse. Um, question Jess. number one. Rebuild of the man who brought you into this world. Your poor relationship will cost you in your years to come. He dearly lost his son and only wants to be friends with the only one that will carry on with the family name. Okay, thank you. Just read, help, me, Jess, help me read that one more time just because the mic was a bit, okay. it was a bit <laughs> cathedral and Oprah. <laughs> Rebuild of the man who mm. brought you into this world. Your poor relationship will cost you in your years to come. Yeah. He dearly loves his son and only wants to be friends with the only one who will carry on with the family name. Yeah, yeah. Um, who has number two? Yeah. The only brother I have and I care for, to me you say so little. On songs, you share more. Mm. Again, give me that again. You said it like a pastor. <laughs> the only brother I have and I care for, to me you say so little. On songs you share more. Mm, on songs you share more. So these are quotes from either his lyrics um, or stuff he said on Twitter. Like I've been back to like 2010, 11. Um, but we collect all those kind of quotes and then we get you involved. We want you to be involved in this as well. So we're going to go back to the beginning and the childhood, and we're going to touch on those kind of quotes. So, first thing I want to ask about is for you, for your childhood, what were some of your fondest memories? Because you look really happy here in your red jumper. What were some of your fondest childhood memories? Um, so I, I grew up in East London. Who's any East London in the house? Yeah, East London. Come on. That's what I like to see. Um, I grew up in East London. Um, moved around East London, so... I lived in Leytonstone, lived in Plasto, lived in Canning Town, lived in Forest Gate, so in and around that area. And one of my earliest, most fondest memories, when I lived in Leytonstone, I lived on the high, the high street on, on top of a shop. And uh, we had uh, like a, a, a balcony, a metal balcony. So, and then beneath us was just like this, was like the garden for the shop downstairs. So we can get the staircase downstairs, but we didn't because we just stayed upstairs because downstairs belonged to the shop and on the shop maybe two or three do- doors down there was um another house and they too had another balcony and i remembered that the family that were living there they had a son who was like the same age as me um and i think we went to the same primary so yeah we did go to the same primary school and i remember we would get our water pistols and we would just shoot each other across and then just just have little water fights from balcony to balcony and I just remember that time period being very fun, um, carefree, um, innocent, and just, just jov- jovial. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably like one of some of the earliest memories. And I think, I think I might have been maybe one or two years older than this, 
But yeah, that's what comes yeah. to mind when I think of that phase and that season of my life, which that was carefree life. Yeah, carefree. Yeah. I think a lot of us all want to go back there, man, Carboy. Just, just gas and electric <laughs> prices are killing us. But you know that, that time when in childhood when I guess the only thing on your mind was play, 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 play in the sand, drink milk from the, the bottle, all those <laughs> type of things, like that carefree mind. If we could all go back there, um, that would be amazing. Um, what's the hardest thing you had to overcome in your childhood then? If those were some of your fondest memories, what can you see, from, not maybe just from that age, but growing up, what were some of the things that you found hard to overcome? I remember two things. One, I wasn't when I was really young, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, putting it politely. And I remember str like struggling in prime, uh, primary school with, with like some of my subjects and stuff, and then feeling um, very hard, being very hard on myself because I would see some of my friends, oh, they just they get it, like they get it, and I'm like, why am I not getting it? And I remember just being extremely hard on myself at such a young age. Yeah. Um, and allowing that to, 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 to affect my confidence. And was that in any particular subject? I'm, I'm talking like maths. Maths, yeah. It's, and it's so funny because that then, when I got to secondary school, it just completely flipped. Mm -hmm. But I remember like year four, year five, year six, I just not, it just nothing clicked. It just, just wasn't, I wasn't getting it at all. Yeah. And what were you saying to yourself in those times? Well, you just think to yourself, it's funny because you don't really have, you don't knowingly have conversations with yourselves. But I, I just remember feeling rubbish. It's like, ah, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm yeah. gonna, I can't be bothered. I don't get it. I don't understand. I can't be bothered. And then just not putting the effort in because it just wasn't clicking, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I hear that. And for you, has that ever carried off and trailed into your, like, your adult life when you don't get things, when you don't understand things as easy as like, the next person? Or has that changed now? That I would say that changed when I when I got into secondary school. I don't I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was puberty or I don't know. But I, I things started to click a lot more, and I started to understand things a lot better. So I, mean, I, I then thinking about it now, I feel like this is going to be a therapy session, isn't it? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> By the way, the light is shining so bright, I can hardly see anyone, but it's okay. It means I can like, just be really honest and direct. But yeah, um, getting to like secondary school, it generally felt like, okay, cool. Um, I'm understanding things a little bit more. And I feel a little bit more confident in my own ability. But then what started to happen was, I think maybe at year, seven, year eight, then getting bullied knocked my confidence. Mm. So as I was starting to, to, to kind of understand things school-wise and education-wise and, and become a, a lot more with it in the classroom, my confidence was now being knocked by the fact that I wasn't able to defend myself or allowing certain individuals to get the better of me by making fun of me or da-da-da-da-da, all that kind of stuff. And I feel that then adversely affected how I saw myself wow. and how I then ended up reacting to the world. What were they, what was it, what were you bullied for? I think it was just kids being kids. It's just kids being kids. What it, it, it was. It was more so just a thing of kids trying to exert, exert their dominance. So 
you look at the one who's the easiest to, to pick. So I wasn't the, the biggest lad in school. Um, and so it's like, okay, it's easy to kind of throw the jokes at him. Yeah. And then I don't know how to, to, to give it back. So I'm just taking it and then just kind of laughing. <laughs> and then it was like laughing. So they're, 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 they're laughing with one another and they're laughing at me. Mm. And I'm th- in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm laughing with them, but really and truly, they're la- yeah. so it's their laugh and my laugh are two different laughs. Yeah. <laughs> my laugh is like a reassurance, like, <laughs> okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end soon kind yeah. of thing. Um, whereas with them, it's like, th- 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 what you find is a lot of, especially at that age, y- you're still finding yourself. So if you can make somebody else look a little bit smaller, you're making yourself look bigger yeah. kind of thing. So... I, I get it. I get it why we... Because everyone's been through that at some point. Um, it was just interesting now thinking back to that, that, that period of time. That's how... Did you ever want to smash their face in? Um, <laughs> did I ever want to smash their face? Yeah. Would I have done it? No. Yeah. Because, again, a lot of these guys, they were, they were, they were, they were bigger guys. Yeah. So in, in, on paper, in theory, it would have been like, yeah, cool. But the reality was just like, eh, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. See, I never uh, twenty years. You said I never, I never knew you got bullied. Hmm. Like you said, we know each other for twenty years. I never almost, knew you got bullied. Tw- almost, almost twenty years. Because I'm thinking back, when was commission up to you? The the the, the EP launch. That must have been what two thousand and four. Yeah, about two thousand four. Yeah. So in and around that time, so not up to twenty years, but yeah. I would say coming up to twenty years. Yeah, and we've never had that that particular discussion. With, with the Will Smith thing, they always say that a lot of theories around why Will Smith hit Chris Rock, I was going to say Chris Brown, um, the, but the, uh, yeah, the, some of the theories were that Will Smith is, was always constantly, um, he came from a past where he couldn't stick up from his mum because of his dad, but then the media always was like on him and t- taking the mick out of him, and it, this was a time when he just snapped and was like, I'm, t- I'm tired of everyone taking me for a joke, etc. And for you, that's why I asked you, did, did you ever want to smash their face? And then your response seemed, um, no, I'll just leave it how it is. And I wondered, for you, how then did you, um, how then did you express that anger and that annoyance and that hate, not hatred, but nobody likes being bullied in that way. So how mm. did you, if you didn't react to them, where did you react? How did it come out? I think, I think what, what you find is that those formative years then start to shape and condition your personality. Cool. And so what happened for me was that I became very passive in nature. And I really just let a, a lot of things go. Mm. Like, I, I, it's going to sound so weird. I think I can count on my hand, maybe, and I won't even use all fingers, how many times I've got angry in my life. Because yeah. I'm just such a, whatever in it. I can get annoyed, I can get frustrated, I can get, you know, a little bit, like, you know, agitated. But in terms of, like, raw anger, maybe three or four times. Wow. And I think it was because back then, things would happen, and there's nothing I can do, so there's nothing I did do. Yeah. But then you get to the point where it, it almost becomes part and parcel of your personality. So then, in general, it just got to the point where I was just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which then makes me a lot more, which makes me very chilled in that sense. But then at the same time, um, my tolerance is a lot higher 
than maybe most people will. So I'm very forgiving in nature. Yeah. So it, I'm, I'm not the kind of person where oh, I'm going to cut you off and unfollow you on the gram and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I don't do that. I might just, whatever, in it. Yeah, same. Kind of thing. So, yeah, I think those early years definitely did shape and condition the personality and the person that I am yeah. now. Mad, man. Didn't know this stuff, you know. <laughs> it's good to know. Um, you, your mom and your dad, um, are they still pastors? They've never been pastors. No, really? Mm-mm. No. Do I know this guy? <laughs> 20 years, damn, okay. They've really? never been pastors. Okay, my bad, okay. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship, what's your, from that quote that we had mm. about real build, building your relationship with your father, mm. um, know because if you're not it's going to cost you what has your relationship been like with your father up till now um my parents are absolutely incredible up until this day and they have been they have been and they continue to be i think it was me in my stubbornness or my rebellious nature or in my wanting to find approval from the wrong set of people it would then fracture relationships at home so as a nigerian as a as an academic as a you know t- you know typical african man i was like ah, face your books study this time all right cool so i'm doing that but i'm 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 trying to get acceptance from people outside you know the man them and the people in school and what whatnot, whatnot so you start acting in a way which is contrary to the standards that have been set at home yeah because you're looking for some sort of affection and acceptance from that crowd. Mm -hmm. So what that then ended up doing was causing fracturing relationships at home because I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being, I'm not being as obedient and I'm not being as faithful to, um, to, to what, what is being taught to me at home. And that can, that can cause a strain on relationships. In fact, it will cause a strain on relationships. But I, I think we all go through that phase because we we're still trying to find ourselves. We're trying to understand who we are as individuals. You know, we want to respect and honor our parents, but at the same time, you're like, I am, I am me. I have my own identity. I'm not. Yes, I am my father's child, or yes, I am my mother's child, but I am still me. And I think it was in those years of trying to find myself, you will butt heads, you will clash heads. But then you get to the point where you realize that what they were saying was said in love. In love. At the same time, the way, especially coming here as a second generation um, African Nigerian immigrant, where um, back home there's a certain way of doing things and their mindset is conditioned to that way of doing things. They come now over here and they're, they're working hard. And I don't know if you've seen the film Farming. Farming. Um, yes, I can't remember who's in it, but it's a, okay. basically, pa- paraphrasing, what you found is a lot of um, Africans would come over here in, into the UK and they would leave their children with white foster parents for a period of time, maybe just outside of London and whatnot, and then they would go and work. So, what, and it was, it was a very common thing. So, I was for, for about maybe like a, uh, six months on and off or about a year on and off, I was with 
had white foster parents. Yeah, same. So it would it would it was that generation they would they were doing that quite a bit. So they and they did that because they they've come to the UK and they need to make money and they and they're cleaners and they're they're doing all these menial jobs, but then they're studying at the same time. And then they've got a, a one two year old, but they're probably making seven pound fifty an hour, if that. So it's a lot. So I think having that sort of upbringing in comparison to now where children are born into social media and, you know, before they've even, you know, said their first words, they've got their, in, their own Instagram page. You see that the, the, the dynamics of things are very, very different. And so when you compare what they knew and how they grew up, they, they, all, all they knew was what they knew from, yeah. from back home. And their, their parenting styles were based from back home, but then the pressures of over here. So I understand why they, they did the things they did and they made the decisions they made and why they were as hard as they were because there was a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it was for my own goods. Yeah. I think I'm a parent now for three years. Yeah. <laughs> you, you sure? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think I think you're so right because when I, as you, for those who have children, you might know, when you become a parent, there's parts of you that can understand. Ah, oh, see where my mom, my mom, or my dad might have been coming from in this situation. I see why they may have, may have reacted in this way in this situation. When I'm coming home from work and um, I'm just tired, I'm tired, tired, tired. You know, my daughter wants. I don't know, her 58th ice lolly. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, no. No, you can't have it. You can't. Okay? I'm tired. I'm stressed. You can't have it. And she's crying. And I don't know what... The way that you react, you remember, oh, wait. I remember this situation. <laughs> a couple of years ago, or 10, 6 years, you know, whatever years ago, I was in that similar situation. So sometimes, as children, it's difficult to see things from that vantage point. But when you become that parent, boy, when you become an adult, Adulting, that's one of your songs. When you're doing this adult thing, you realize that, whoa. When you were a child, you thought, yeah, I can't wait to be 28. Mm. And then no. you turn 28. No, I can't wait to be six. Yo. I wish I was four or five. Listen. So perspective, you know, perspective is uh, everything. Um, you are the eldest. Let's get some pictures up in here. Oh. Them shorts are high. <laughs> your brother and sister um, you're the eldest I want to ask um, from that quote that Emmanuel said do you f ever feel you're not being the best brother you could be as an elder and in that position I think there was a time where I did think that now not so much so yeah. but I think back when that was the case because I was so tunnel vision in trying to find who I was and define myself and you know, okay, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing and how do I, how do I, 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 that you end up forgetting what's around you because your, your viewpoint, your, your vantage point is so tunnel visioned mm -hmm. and not in, not in the, I'm focused and I'm not in that kind of a way, but in a way where you're just folk, you're just, you're so self-centered, everything focuses around you, that you, begin to neglect responsibilities at home or you don't understand the the weight and the gravity of the responsibilities that have been given onto 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 one as, as a firstborn. So 
I think there were yeah there was a season where I thought okay cool I could have done more and I, so when the quote which you just read it was gen- it was a genuine conversation I had with my sister so I'm trying to remember the lyric now um, uh, I can't remember the lyric off the top of my head but I remember walking into the to, to the to the kitchen one time and um, the sister um, Shami who comes after me she said to me. Um, like you do know like you don't talk to me and I'm like what do you mean she goes because I learn more about you through your music than I do through conversations I was like that's not that are you serious she goes yeah and when she said that to me I was like that's and that hears me thinking I'm being so like open in the in the in the music and but then I realized that and I remember having this conversation with you it's so easy to to be open in the music because I just put it in, record it, and like whoever hears it, hears it. But you're not going to listen. The likelihood of the people in this room listening to that with me is very... Whereas when you have the conversation, like you have to address it. You have to, there's no hiding because we're having the conversation. So I think I was using the facade of vulnerability. It's so weird because I was being vulnerable to hide being vulnerable. And it, it's, that, it's that kind of facade that 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 needed to be broken down and allow me to play the position of the first boy yeah, yeah the, the, the older brother yeah. you know so now once i realized that i started to make a lot more of an effort with my with my siblings and 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 the, those those coming behind me love it all right let's go for um who's got envelope number three Boot cuts. <laughs> All I see is boot cuts. If you think about it, I'm kind of like forward thinking. I was doing it before Ashakir was. So I, I think that was like. Goodness gracious. Who's got number three? You got number three? Is the mic on? Yeah, just click it. Now it's on. Cool. Tell us your name. Sorry, my name is Carl. Yeah. Uh, I woke up this morning and I felt like crying, so I did. I woke up this morning and I felt like crying, so I did. And so we've got here the man behind the mic. So you make a lot of mu- you make music, and um, one thing I noticed when doing a lot of research, it's similar to what you just mentioned, but in the interviews I couldn't find a lot about Triple O. I could find a lot about Triple O, but I couldn't find a lot about Triple O, if you know what I mean. It was very surface. So there was a lot about the al- you know, album, about music. Um, topics were touched on lightly, but Triple O, I had to go to the music to find out about him. And I know you. So I, I was like, huh, this is interesting. So that means people may only have one side of you in their mind. And I wanted to find out behind the suits, behind the smiles, uh, behind the glasses, like who are you, like as a person? What are the things that you deal with, like behind the mic? This is a therapy session, isn't it? <laughs> what are the things that I deal with behind the mic? Like two things that people wouldn't even know. Do you know what? One thing that I that. I wrestled with for a long time, on and off, and still, still to this day, to a certain degree, is that sense of 
um, I don't want to say acceptance, but do people really care? And I th- and I and I think it's so. Um, it can be it can be it can be a very selfish way of thinking because automatically you th- again you th- coming back to what I was saying earlier you you automatically think that the that the world revolves around you. So then I'm thinking, oh, let me let me do this so that people will love me, or people will like me, and and, and people will praise me. Yeah. And so you start living for the adulation of man. What, and, and sorry, just interrupt. What things were you doing to get that uh, to get that love or to get that praise? Or so I think uh, when I was okay. So if we're talking maybe like secondary school times, it's more so just doing whatever needed to be done so that people would love, like, and accept me. So that might be in secondary school, and you just, you just you laugh at all the jokes, or you, people say, okay, cool, we're going we're gonna to rob this shop. And I, all right, cool, you just go and just, these times you're only taking packets of crisps and drinks, but, <laughs> you know, you're like, you don't, you know you really don't want to do it, but if you don't, then you're going to, people are going to think that, so just, just kind of going with the crowds. So that was young, but then maybe older, I mean, you know, older years, it would be like, all right, I'm a musician now, so I want people to like my art form, so I need to make sure that the music is this and da da da, all that kind of stuff. And then, oh, there's only two likes on this page, on this post. Ah, uh, okay, I need to go back. Why, well, what have I done? Or nobody's retweeting the album, or nobody's listening, all that kind of stuff. You start to. So, and I remember the quote you know, if, you, if you live for their acceptance, you die from their rejection. And that's what it was. It was me just trying to get people to... And I remember having a conversation with, with, with someone and they said, you care too much about what people think. You, you, care, you care way too much about what people think. And the reality of the matter is people are fickle. You are fickle. I am fickle. Because we will, we will talk about something for a moment. We will have the conversation for a moment. We will be all you know, in a moment, and then the next moment comes, and then you're not the... How many, how many weddings have happened this year? And then, you know, for the moment, for the, for the, for the moment when the picture comes out or the, on the grand desk, it's, oh, this is the wedding of the year. It's not even seven hours yet, and the next wedding has been all over your time feed, and that's the wedding of the year. That's how fickle we are. We're always on to the next one. And I, I didn't realize that. I generally thought that attention and things need to be on me. But then you realize, actually, no, that's, that's, that, that should never be the case. Yeah. And it can't be the case. It's not a healthy way of living. It's not a healthy way of thinking. And I think all of us, like, there's, all of us crave that in some way, whether it's um, from our family, whether it's from friends. But I think with social media, what it's made us crave it from the most is strangers. Like, you crave it from people you don't know, people that don't know your life, don't understand who you are, your ins and outs. And just like you said, you post one thing up, and I don't know who we want to acknowledge it, but we just want loads of people to acknowledge it. Mm. And I guess it's getting to that place where it's like, if they acknowledge it, great. If they don't acknowledge it, great. I'm still amazing. You know what I'm saying? Um, are you... Actually, what, yeah, what is the biggest misconception about who you are? The biggest misconception biggest that people have about you? The biggest misconception... I don't know, because then that would mean I would need to get into the minds of those who see me and have this per- perception of me. And I, I, it's, it's hard for me to know what perception people have of me. Mm. So 
I, I don't know. What do you think people think of you? Or hope you think people think of you? I think people, people who know me as an artist and know me over the past years are like, okay, he's very honest in the way he has conversations. He's very honest in the things he puts in his music. He's very honest about where he's at with his head and his mental well-being and whatnot. That's what I would like to think people know. Um, and there are times where I would do all I can to play into that. Not in a, not in a manipulative kind of way, but really like try and live up to it and be like, yeah, vulnerability and mental health and whatnot. Um, I don't know if that's always been the case because there, there have been times, and this is me just being very honest, there have been times where it's weird because you use the honesty thing as a facade and you start to lie. Oh, wow. say, oh yeah, I'm super honest. I'm super vulnerable. I'm, I'm putting it all on the table. But you're being very selective with what you're putting on the table. And you're only putting enough on the table so people think that you're putting it all on the table, but there's, there's really something else underneath Jeez. the table. Yeah. But because there's so much on the table, people are like, wow, he's, he's putting so much on the table, but you've... You've already, you've got some, do you know what I'm trying to say? So I think there have been times where I've, I've definitely done that to my own detriment. So, yeah. Deep. This guy's a deep brother, man. 20 years, I'm learning more stuff. <laughs> uh, for the love of music, anybody heard a Triple O song before? Oh, you're not in the wrong place. Um, uh, has anybody heard a Triple O song before? A song. A song. This song, what song? <laughs> no, I was just oh gosh, I was hoping there were some fans here. Um there was something that you said. Um it was a when did when did you say it? It was a tweet actually, yeah. You said with the amount of everything I'm pouring into this album, I genuinely pray it connects with at least one person. Because as it stands, I am drained in every sense of the word. I am drained in every sense of the word. And I wanted to ask you, as an independent artist, someone who is not signed to a label, you don't have like a major backing, what is it like being an independent rap artist, really? <sighs> That's the answer to your question. That's the answer. Yo, it's hard. Yo, it's, it's hard. How much did you spend on this album? You just put out. About... 16 pound just 16 pound yeah 16.99 <laughs> um yeah just i think coming up just just over 15 grand um in the same year that i'm planning a wedding um that's why i i absolutely love my fiance because the level of grace she allowed me to because i should be i'm like i've got you know salary coming i'm like babe i know i should put it here but um she's like cool do your thing Kind of thing, and that not many women would do that. Yeah, not many women would do that. Um, and that's how I know that God blessed me with an incredible one because the level of support and and care and grace that she showed, especially in the in the production of this particular project, yeah. she knew that yes, God is my everything. She is my everything, but she knew that this particular project was also my everything. Yeah. And she was like, all right, cool. Take the time and space and resources you need to make sure that this is the best it can be. Yeah. And it best represents you, unlike anything you've ever done in before. So I remember um, 
saying to someone, I said, this album now, which has just come out, everything left unsaid out now, by the way, if you haven't got that. This album, I said to, I said to someone, if, you, if, the, if people don't like this project, they're never going to like my music. And that's fine. I, like, I'm, I, I said that's absolutely fine. Because I can unequivocally say that this is the best music I've ever made in my entire life. Wow. And the amount of thought and um, lyrics and all that kind of stuff t- that came together for this is I've never had the opportunity to put this together. So to come back to your question about what's it like being an independent artist, it's very, very challenging because up until this point, there are things I've wanted to do but I couldn't do yeah. because of finances. So the project or the music will sound subpar. And then when I'm seeing some of my peers doing what they're doing and people are comparing, there's, there's, there's a gap. But it's like, I can do that. I just don't have the means right. of doing it. And it was just that living in frustration. And when you live in frustration, you make decisions out of frustration. You get um, annoyed at yourself. You start thinking, is this, is this, is this, is this even meant for me? Am I meant to be doing oh, this? You start yeah. to doubt yourself. You start, all, these, all these things start to come into your mind. And then the fatigue then comes in because you're playing. Let me be more specific. I'm playing booking agent. I'm playing... Uh, uh, PA, I'm playing producer, I'm playing artist, I'm performing and I'm writing, but I'm then trying to like get you know booking forms sent out, and then I'm trying to reach out to yeah, events, yeah. and then I'm tr- so I'm doing like all of these different hats, and then it gets to the point where you're like, I'm like I'm actually tired, like I'm I'm actually tired, yeah. so it's hard, but what then makes it all worthwhile is when it's done, it's out and completed. And people hear the music and they're like, oh no, that met me at a place. Like, yeah. I read that song or the album is, it, it, it really, and you think to yourself, okay, so it was worth it. Yeah, exactly. It, it was worth yeah. it. Come on. Go and check out this album, man. Everything Left Unsaid. It's an amazing album. And I've, <coughs> I've spent the last couple of, I've messaged you so many, so many times. I don't need to message you it, but I want to message you it so you know that it's genuine, that I love, like, I really do like the album. And I'm a harsh critic. If I don't like it, I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I've you know sent you saying? stuff before, and you, you, you told me when it when it didn't slap, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm so go for me to tell you I like it, like, it's good, it's good. Um, time's talking the hardest. So let's go to four and five. If you've got envelope four and you've got envelope five, who's got number four? Who's got five? You got five? Okay. Who's got four? Okay, Mercy's got five. All right. Oh, is it Mercy? Yeah. yeah okay, Mercy. You got two, you get two envelopes. No, okay. Um, says, I feel very alone, so just have a lot of thoughts running rampant. Uni workers a lot, and I'm feeling it now. I miss my girl, and I just want to see her now. I just want to see her. Read that again for us. I feel very alone, mm. so just have a lot of thoughts running rampant. Uni workers a lot, and I'm feeling it now. I miss my girl, and I just want to see her now. Just want to see her now. That was a WhatsApp message you messaged me. Let's get number five. Oh, just down at the front here. What's your name, sorry? Pelumi. Thank you for coming. I just want to see my girl. Um, mine says, I don't get to see you, but not a day goes by when you are not on my mind. I don't get to see you, but not a day goes by when you're not on my mind, okay? Um, so these are messages that you messaged me, and I asked you, 
When we said we're going to do this, I asked you, is there anything you don't want to talk about? He said, nah, it's cool. And um, this from, I don't know, anyway, this for me, it's a difficult one to talk about, but we've got to talk about it. So 17th of May, 2018, 12.49 a.m., Amaya Rose was born. Can we have a round of applause, please? <laughs> this is when your daughter came into the world. One, two, yeah. And even before that, we met up in Marland, and you told me you were having a child. And uh, I remember when, when you said it, I was like, okay, cool. Like, it didn't, it didn't phase me. It was, it was like, whatever. Now let's focus on you having a child. But you did speak about that, uh, the complications that come with that. And for those that may not know, so when you, he's a, Triple O is like a, 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 it's a Christian rapper. Now, in the Christian culture and Christian community, the idea is that you get married, then you have kids. There's like an order in which you are supposed to do it. And so when you fall outside of that order, there's a lot of scrutiny, especially when you have a platform, especially when you're talking about God. People expect so much of you. So to then have to almost turn and double back on that and say, oh, man, I messed up. I was having sex out of wedlock. For someone of his stature, uh, internally, and I remember when we sat down in Myland, I could see it in your face that this was a lot. Tell me what were some of the emotions and the thoughts that were going through your mind when you got that call that you have a child on the way? Yeah, you got to raise that mic, brother. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm getting shocked up. Um, I was scared. Mm. I think, um, again, yeah, because of the, the perception and the expectations and the, the standards that I had set for myself and then people had set because of what I did and the profile and all that kind of stuff, all that external stuff, all that stuff that, did, in the grand scheme of things, none of that stuff matters. Mm. By the time, it was all that mattered. And I thought to myself, oh, this perception of me being, and again, this is, talking back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of how do people see me and how people ex experience what I, you know, what I do and, and all that kind of stuff. It was very selfish. Oh my gosh, what's so-and-so going to say? What's so-and-so going to think? How is this going to affect my booking? And my shows and all that kind of It was very, very selfish. And then because of that very selfish way of looking at the situation at hand, it negatively and adversely affected a lot 